I'm Laura Youngkin of The Brave Millennial. This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of GreenRope and author of CRM for Dummies. I'm Allison Bloom-Fetchdock, the founder and CEO of Know Your Crew. This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Mari Confectionery. And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Hey, and welcome to episode 27, part two of my interview with Jim Carr. Now, if you don't know who Jim is and you want to learn a little bit more about him and this is your first time, first of all, thank you for finding our show. We hope that you subscribe and that you share with us your thoughts. But I would also encourage you to go back to episode 26. Definitely go back to episode 26. Listen to where he came from. Listen to his understanding, his perspective. And this is going to be no uh, downfall of a part two. He's going to dive further into uh, specific ways that you can engage, whether you're a millennial looking to add value or whether you're a corporation trying to figure out how do we push our message down to the next tier of consumers. Even Um, it's a great interview. I I had such fun uh, just talking with Jim and learning more. And even after the interview, we talked a lot, but I want to give you this part right now. So take a listen to part two of my interview with Jim Carr. Absolutely. So so let's pivot to that. So here's something I'm thinking about. Let's talk about the 25 to 35 year old right now who's in a company. They know I really want to be a part of leadership. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing all the right things as an individual contributor. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully at this point making, you know, the right relationships and providing, you know, an opportunity there. But what do you feel an emerging leader in that space can learn and gain from a baby boomer that they may work with within their department or, you know, that they work side by side with? What what do you feel they have the most to gain from building that type of relationship with someone older? Well, they certainly can gain a lot for themselves personally, and they can also equip themselves to do well uh, when they get into that role. You know, I, I think, Chris, if they're preparing for a leadership role or trying to get exposure into that, millennials need some perspective into what executives have to deal with. So if you're in a, a staff or in a low to mid-management role, certainly you have your responsibilities and you have important work that you're doing. Uh, you might have some fairly narrow metrics in your job that uh, you're judged upon. So whether it's on sales or growth or getting a certain amount of productivity or managing a budget, whatever. Leaders have to take a very long view and a very broad view about the business. So when we speak to our clients a lot, when I speak to them about people who are, uh, we might call executives or those within the C-suite, what is it about their professional roles that makes them different? So when I, when I think about executives and people in the, the quote-unquote C-suite is that person has responsibility for what we call a P&L, profit and loss. In other words, not just cost and efficiency in the bottom line, but also the top line of revenue. Where's the business going to grow and compete for the long term? And that's a lot of responsibility because it involves trade-offs and tough decisions. What do we make a priority? There are lots of good ideas. We can't do them all. What are you going to invest in today and spend money on today that might not get you immediate gratification, but you feel like it's necessary for long-term growth? So for emerging leaders, what they can gain, and I say they probably have to instigate this conversation a bit, but 
learn the areas of the business beyond their immediate job responsibilities and their immediate role and just get some perspective and appreciation for all the ways that the different parts of the business connect and how is it that the organization is going to compete and win over the long haul, especially with an eye to our customers and suppliers and communities and partners. Just get a sense of how those pieces fit together. You will appreciate that executive's role more. You'll begin to prepare yourself for making the kinds of decisions that you'll need to make down the road in that role. And you'll also, I think, can be seen as an informant. Um, and I say in the most positive way possible of someone who is thinking about the customer and the community from that younger person's perspective and probably um, have some really good ideas about how to uh, build those relationships and connect as well. Absolutely. And I think that's really, really great advice because um, understanding the business will help you have that perspective. I think so many times uh, a you know, as an individual contributor, right? Like you mentioned, you got narrow kind of objectives. And so you, you know, you focus on hitting those, but, you know, learning the other parts that, that control kind of the whole house is really, really uh, can be a key value, but I can understand that a millennial might say, well, you know, sometimes understanding those pieces might be closed lipped. I'm working with, you know, you know, some folks who, you know, they don't like to share and I'm trying to learn so that I can continue to grow. What kind of, you know, tools or ideas, what, what kind of things that, you know, whether it's a system or some steps that you can provide to, uh, you know, millennials out there who are they're they're trying, you know, they're trying to get you know, conversations beyond their role. But, you know, sometimes they might feel, you know, um, blocked even from learning, you know, about other parts of the business or almost, I would say, in some roles, they might feel frowned upon from, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, being being inquisitive right about the other side. Right. Um, what do you say to them? A couple of things, Chris. And and yes, there are going to be. Uh, some people in the, the boomer set that it's just not been their background to be that communicative. You know, a lot of them came through where you, you did your job, you put your head down, you worked hard and outwork everybody else. And, uh, and that's maybe the way that they have succeeded. It's unlikely that they don't want to interact with that younger generation. It's more likely in that case that they just, don't quite know how. Um, I think it's a misconception that most boomers don't want to have that conversation. I, I think most do. Um, I've seen um, among executives that I've dealt with, and again, whether they're trying to recruit employees and motivate and retain employees um, or understand millennials as the growing part of their customer base, that most do want to understand and engage better and that they're open to that even if they're not able to voice it necessarily. They want to have the conversation. Right. Um, now, there, there are some uh, negative assumptions that boomers might have about millennials. There's some baggage that's there, uh, and it's typically not fair, but it's there. So they might look at millennials who are technically adept, especially with newer technologies, about being smart and energetic, but that they may feel entitled, that they need to be coddled, that they're owed something. Uh, again, you and I know that that's not 
usually the case, and it's not a fair assumption. But if you approach the conversation um, with a genuine interest in sharing and understanding what that that boomer uh, has to deal with in the job and what they will need to be dealing with do, dealing with in that job in the future. So it's not the sense of, oh, hey, they need to do these things in order to groom me for a leadership position or to keep me around. But if it's in the spirit of really wanting to give and share and to understand, to just ask some questions, um, then they will break through those negative assumptions. And even more so will surprise and delight that boomer who – might want to engage, but just on their own. Listen, Chris, executives are scared of stuff too. <laughs> executives hmm, that's a good point. Um, are, that's a good are point. worried about looking bad, not knowing what to do in a situation, especially uh, if they feel like that they're in, a, in a, a visible leadership position. A lot of them, and, and they deal with this stress, that they're supposed to have all the answers. And so sometimes they might not provoke that conversation, it doesn't mean they don't want to have it. it. Maybe they don't know how, and they're frankly anxious about it. So be, I would say be, again, intentional and proactive from that, the sense of that millennial, and you might be very pleasantly surprised about how that person, when they know it's genuine, uh, how they open up and the, the depth of that relationship that you can have. Absolutely. So you talked about some of those misconceptions. Are there any misconceptions from a messaging standpoint that you think that are important that you'd like to probably share with our audience that you realize people think this is a thing in, in messaging and it's not? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you this, Chris. I think, and it's not just for millennials, I'd say with, with almost anyone who wants to be a good personal communicator, a good messenger, and what I've found over the years in lots of different roles uh, is that people generally need three things. They need knowledge, skills, and confidence. And let's just unpack each of those briefly. So, so knowledge is about what you have to offer, and it's also enough knowledge of that other person's world, their hopes and dreams and frustrations, um, so that you can understand their role. Um, the skill is whether the conversation or the, co the communication may be from an instant message or an email or face-to-face -face or over the phone, just a base level of skill on how to communicate. It doesn't have to be perfect because we all mess up. Uh, and, and confidence is enough to instigate that conversation, enough confidence to be able to listen and know that you do have something of value to offer and, and to be engaged in that way. Uh, I would like to offer, since we're, we're chatting here, and I know you, you like to pass along very practical tips too. Absolutely. And, and Chris, this might sound a little bit um, like a crusty guy's pet peeve. I'll tell you it isn't. It actually has science behind it. Um, but one very specific tip in the skill area that I see a lot, and it can really help millennials stand out, especially among their cohorts. So when I deal with um, particularly millennials, oftentimes they're very smart, they're, um, they're successful, they're off to a great start, a lot of cognitive horsepower. But I manage to see a persistent and a damaging speech habit. It's called uh, up-speaking. So 
you may have heard, Chris, where people are trying to make a statement, and yet it sounds like a question. You end the sentence with a rising pitch. Uh, Like now? (laughs) Like now? Well, yours was actually a question. Um, But if if you're trying to make a statement and it sounds like a question, that that thing has a name. It's called High Rising Terminal, or HRT. Now, that's a pattern that I did a little research. I I had uh, noticed this a lot. And uh, I found that the pattern began years ago in Australia, in New Zealand primarily, and then has come into the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, It's even more common among young professional women, but a lot of millennial men do it too, Uh, and even just beyond the universe of millennials now. Um, I think a number of people do it either they're not thinking about it or they think it sounds like it's inviting other people to comment um, about trying not to seem like a know-it-all or being too declarative, but it has a very bad effect. Um, I saw some research that came out of Great Britain, um, and it found that more than two-thirds of managers and executives said that up-speaking is annoying. More than 80% said it's an indicator of a person's insecurity or emotional weakness, and more than half of the managers and executives said that people who upspeak would be limited in job promotions and raises within their organization. Wow. That, that's, so, a, that's a huge number. Yeah. So, so I guess let's let's unpack that for a second. So yeah. the example that you just gave in upspeaking, <laughs> which is, you know, it, it sounds very common. It really does. It sounds like a it very is common. common piece. Um, so in a setting of work, use that example in a setting of work so that our people can really get an understanding of, of, of how that would look in a, in a day-to-day world if somebody's presenting something. Well, if you're presenting, if you're in a meeting where you want to um, offer a comment or offer a recommendation, now, certainly you should know what you're talking about. But if you know what you're talking about, make it sound like you know what you're talking about. And unfortunately, again, just by habit, a lot of people do this because that's just the way that their friends speak. Uh, it's what they've heard. It's comfortable. But, you know, think about it. If you're in a meeting and someone says, well, you know, um, this habit of speaking and maybe if you speak this way, then other people think that you're emotionally weak. I mean, that that just comes across badly. It it sounds like you're unsure. Now, again, you don't want to be too much on the other side, especially younger people. They don't want to come across as trying to be a know-it-all or to speak in areas that they don't know. But I would also counsel uh, those millennials who are, are listening. Yeah. Don't lack the confidence. You know, work on that habit. You do have a lot to offer. You are smart, uh, and, and you're an expert in several things. You're an expert in your role in the job. You're an expert seeing what happens in your part of the organization, and in many ways, you're an expert in helping the company connect to other millennials, again, as employees, as volunteers, as customers. And so if you know your stuff, let, it, let that come through. And don't let some speech pattern get, you know, necessarily get in the way. And it doesn't matter whether you're an introvert, extrovert, 
ambivert in the middle. Um, that's just one thing. If, if there's a takeaway in terms of a skill or a habit or some one practice that I would highly recommend to millennials, uh, that would be it. And for the executives, I would say um, if you hear that going on in your own organization, I wouldn't get on anyone's case for it, but just recognize that if they're out there selling, if they're out there talking to their friends, et cetera, uh, you want your people to sound more learned, more confident, um, and as better messengers than uh, is the case with the other guys. Absolutely. And I will say what we probably need to do is just make sure that we all as leaders, as CEOs, as anybody running a a company, a department, you name it, we probably just need to share with everyone that article and that survey. Because, I mean, I think that's a very fascinating piece. Um, HRT, I had not heard that one yet. But see, that's why we bring people like Jim on this show, because I'll, they know I'll all share some resources that you can put in show notes or whatever, uh, whatever you would like. Uh, but I found Absolutely. it fascinating, and I have found that, again, to be fairly common across lots of different industries uh, and lots of different settings. So just uh, just one tip that you can pass along. Absolutely. That, that, that is awesome. So so when you we talked earlier about the advice uh, and the C-suites for millennial engagement, I, I actually want to kind of reverse the conversation because we've talked a lot about millennials. Right. Mm -hmm. But as a baby boomer um, who does sit in a C-suite, uh, as you mentioned, some of them are probably just afraid of looking bad. Uh, there might be some pride issues there. There might be some, you know, uh, I, I've even seen, and this is my own, <laughs> just because I've worked with a lot of different executives in the past and I've seen some of this before. I've even seen where uh, some people's career path has been to get them away from having to deal with people. So then now when they're <laughs> in a position right. and they have to communicate with people, they just clam up because they're like, I don't this isn't my job. I, I intentionally built my career so that I don't have to, you know, deal with people that I don't communicate with on a, you know, everyday basis. But for the baby boomer who is, let's say, going to walk out the door, who's looking at retiring, right? Who's looking to either retire or they just want to kind of reinvent their, their world. That's a scary time. Um, what would you say to the baby boomer who is, um, in that space that maybe wants to make a change or they're trying to, to make sure that their messaging to maybe the emerging leader that they're mentoring, that they're working with uh, on a consistent basis, what kind of things do they need to be cognizant of and mindful of when having those conversations? And there might be a, a couple of different areas here, Chris, to talk about if there's someone who's reinventing themselves. Um, but I think more uh, particularly, you were talking uh, about that boomer who is an organizational leader, and they're trying to maybe change change the direction a little bit, or something that they uh, they haven't been doing in the past, but they realize the importance of it uh, in connecting with that uh, that millennial customer base and connecting with that millennial worker base as well. Um, I uh, and I listen. It's it's an honest thing, and and. My my late father was you know very much that strong silent type, um, and we had a we had a great relationship, but we didn't talk very much, and you know his father didn't talk to him very much. It was just kind of the way that things were, and and it is a different world these days. 
I would um, I keep in mind the maxim that uh, and it's someone else's quote, but I like it a lot. Um, the author John Maxwell says that a manager or a leader, actually, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. So knowing the way is knowing about yourself and your organization and, and knowing the right thing to do uh, and picking up these, these communication tips and the like. doesn't mean being uh, someone that you're not, but uh, in some cases it might mean for that boomer to get some facility with, it may be social media, it may be video, it may be some other ways, just in, in short conversation about being out there with lots of different kinds of audiences, different kinds of people. The go the way piece of this is you've got to model it yourself. You know, the, the really effective leaders don't ask people, uh, other people in their organizations to do things that they're not willing to at least try themselves. So you can, you can sit behind your desk or be in the corner and say, well, you need to communicate better. That's not going to resonate within your colleagues in the organization because they're no, they know you're not serious about it. So you're going to have to do it, at least a little bit of it, yourself and do it visibly so others can see you making that attempt. And then finally, it's the show the way. So a really good leader doesn't just know it and do it, they teach others how as well. And it doesn't mean necessarily direct teaching, but you certainly have to have a, a learning and teaching organization. So when we do this, uh, or if I go into, um, into a company that really wants to change their conversation to the outside world as well as inside, um, we'll, we'll do the knowing part, so it's the best practices and, and, and getting that information together in bite-sized pieces. We will uh, make sure that that executive or that executive team is publicly helping lead and helping show others this is a priority for us. You know, we're going to change the way that we talk about ourselves, and we're going to enlist, enlist other people and how to talk about us too. So we're going to do this. We're going to do this internally, and we're going to equip our, our current customers and our suppliers and our communities and the like, and we're going to be silent no more. And then there's the, the coaching piece. So in order to make the change stick, both individually and as an organization, Chris, you got to practice. You know, you gotta you gotta get out there and help one another. Make sure that it stays, the message stays fresh. That people practice um, as new people come into the organization. They need this to be part of their onboarding. They need this to be part of their training. Um, and and so uh, that's really that's that's the thing. And it's not individually that that people need to be different or that teams need to be different in the the work that they do, or the value they provide. But there's a lot of upside in being able to talk about it differently and talk about it more broadly. So you say, how do you, how do you bring all this stuff together? Well, for the executive, you've got to know, and you've got to go, and you've got to show. That is awesome. That, that's definitely awesome. So uh, last question before we wrap up here. I'm curious as your thoughts to what um when it comes to communication are there you talked about that one cool cap with the hrt thing i just think that's so cool of research 
But are there pieces and gaps in communication that right now, if you just said, here's something simple, a simple tip that, you know, millennials and baby boomers can do like right now today uh, to kind of feel this kind of uh, misunderstanding between the two, whether it's your employee base or your customer base, what would that thing be? Sure. Well, uh, Chris, in the spirit of transparency and authenticity, I'll tell a story about how I got something really wrong to begin with, and then I got some really good advice myself. Uh, <laughs> and, and this goes back um, uh, a number of years when I was in uh, my MBA program at, uh, at Duke University, and I was young. So I, I was one of the younger members of my class, and uh, so those programs are, are two years, and then the summer in between is when everyone goes out uh, to work internships. And uh, so oftentimes that internship is the springboard to your full-time position or uh, what you're going to be doing. Maybe with that same company uh, or it may be with, uh, with another company as well. But that internship experience in the middle is pretty important. And I knew it was really important for me um, as a younger person that did not have a, a long uh, track record. Well, let's just say I went to the, uh, the first scheduled internship interview and I thought that I had prepared in the right way. You know, I had this list of here are the you know, 4,000 questions that you're likely to get in a job interview. And I went through all of that stuff and I probably over-prepared that sort of thing. And I got into the interview and it was going okay for a while. And then it just kind of flamed out. I just lost that connection and I wasn't ready for what that interviewer really wanted to learn, which was, what would I be like in his team? And, and making sure, you know, we talked earlier about executives are scared of stuff too. This was a senior VP at a Fortune 500 company, and he didn't want to look bad by bringing in someone for a summer internship that everybody could look around and go, you know, where did Bob find this clown? So, you know, he, he's looking for reasons to omit people from that process. Wow. So, I went back, and there was a, uh, a particular professor and mentor that was there at Duke at the time. And I just had, Chris, I had my tail between my legs, and I told him what had happened. And I, I said, I should have seen you earlier, but I'm coming. I'd love to get your help now. What did I do wrong? And he said, Look, here's what I want you to do. Uh, and at, at that time, he said, I want you to get a piece of paper. And your listeners, and this. I say this applies to certainly millennials as they want to accelerate their career and their opportunities. It applies to senior level people who either want to go to that next step or maybe they're doing a little rebranding of themselves as well. Uh, and I found this advice to work for me my entire career as I've changed lots of times. But he said, um, and so you, might, you may do it on a whiteboard, you may do it on a piece of paper, you may do it on a spreadsheet, whatever. He said, I want you to focus on the kind of colleague that you would be. He said, I want you to make a grid. Um, it's five by two. So the uh, five columns and two rows. Your five columns are going to be attributes about you. Things that, attributes that you have. It might be creativity or perseverance or empathy or whatever that might be. Okay. And the rows underneath each of those will be examples, areas where you have shown that attribute. 
Maybe it was at school. Maybe it was on the job or your community or a house of worship or whatever that might be. Okay? This exercise is going to take a little time. And you want to enlist people who know you well and who will tell you the truth as they see it when you go through this. And I, I asked the question, well, well, what are those five things, those five columns, those attributes that are up there? He says, I'm not sure. That's where you're going to have to do the hard work and be honest with yourself. Wow. But spend a, spend a week or two at this, maybe even longer. But you're going to get to those five, and then you're going to have you know, um, examples under each. So I said, well, what if I can't think of two examples that show the attribute? He goes, it's probably not a defining attribute then. Wow. Oh, good point. And so I went through that exercise. And so think about this, Chris. At the end of that, I had five attributes. I had two examples of each. I had 10 cells in that worksheet filled out. At that point, I had 10 stories about myself, but that were not focused just on how great I am, but, but things that I could offer. And, and, and so they're real. They're authentic, um, and I can back them up. And you think about in a conversation. Now, this is for subsequent interviews where I'm trying to impress. But if you just think in general about what you have to offer and how you can express that, whether you're trying to get a promotion or get a job or just get yourself to have more opportunity. If you're equipped with 10 real stories about yourself that um, you can communicate, whether it be a short conversation or a long one, you have a huge advantage that's there. And, and so in the marketing world, we call that position. But in the, in the conversational world, I'd say that if there was anything that applies, especially to millennials, but I found that it applies very well throughout your career and, and throughout your life. And those five attributes, by the way, will change. They may be very different for someone who is 30 versus someone who's 60 because you just had more seasoning and more experiences uh, and, and your goals will change. But that would be the thing. If there's an exercise that I think it cer certainly served me well and, um, and would serve you well uh, as well. I think that is so good that wow, we could spend another 30 minutes on that just alone. I think that's really, really good. And I think it's it's good because it goes back to your earlier point about being able to be confident. Right. This HRT thing we talked about. Right. So I think if you can <laughs> exactly. get really confident in your storytelling of yourself and learning how to convey that message. I mean, I think you, you really kind of summed up all that you've shared today in just that one exercise. So as we wrap up today, Jim, there I know there's there's three keys that you typically talk about uh, as you go around. I wanted you to kind of give everyone an idea, and we're going to put this in the show notes as well so that people can kind of see it uh, as well um, from the link. But share with everyone about the three keys that you kind of share with people as you, as you, as you uh, talk with different uh, you know, groups and companies around the country. You bet. Uh, well, Chris, I, having gone through uh, a career that's been uh, partly about, you know, creating messages and selling and coaching and uh, working not only in my own businesses, but, uh, but a lot of client businesses. And I, I was thinking for those 
uh, particularly those, those teams and those organizations that do this well, that they have a lot of great customer conversations. And they use that as the, as the way to, to build those relationships and to grow their organization. What's involved? And I recognize that it's really a, a three-legged stool, if you will, the three components. What I call the message, the messengers, and the management. So the message is, as you might suspect, it's the, it's the stories, it's the facts, it's the value proposition, it's the things Absolutely. that are worth expressing. I'll tell you, it's not, executives, listen to me on this, it is not your mission statement. Please, it is not your vision statement. As much as you might uh, love it and believe that it's true, uh, that is not the kind of thing that in natural conversation uh, that you can, you can get across very well. Most wow. mission statements and vision statements sound the same. Uh, and Chris, you've been around a lot of organizations as well, but uh, you would, I'm guessing you would agree that, you know, once you start talking about the interests of communities and customers and partners and bone and that and, and, and the like, they all kind of sound the same after a while because there was probably a big, a big committee that spent 18 months coming up with it. <laughs> all right. So, so, um, but it more is around those stories. So whether it's those personal stories that we talked about before or organizational stories um, about the people that you've helped or the things that set you apart, truly set you apart. That's part of the message. The, the second part are the messengers, so the human beings that will carry this through in their conversations, in their natural, personal, and professional networks. So not, I'm not talking so much about advertising or PR or social media campaigns, um, but think back when I, I told the story earlier about having a conversation with someone that I just met on the side of a soccer field on a Saturday morning, which actually led to a really uh, productive piece of my career, is how have you equipped yourself and others to be able to share those very same stories, to be able to talk about, uh, whether it be at a networking event or at a tailgate party, or everything else in between in our, in our everyday lives for people to be able to uh, express what you do. You know, how have you equipped those people? Have you, do you give them the stories? Do you give them the confidence and the tools to be able to do it? And then there's the managing part, and, and that's just making us a habit. So um, how do you bring it into coaching systems? Are you onboarding new people with the message and the like. Again, not a script. Uh, we don't expect people to be automatons, um, and, and they'll resist it. Your, your best people, those who are most passionate about your organization, will be the first ones to resist being told exactly what they're supposed to say in every situation. But I do find that um, oftentimes you get people together, uh, say inside the, the companies, you're crafting that message, and people from across departments and across geographic areas and across levels of the organization and they start sharing stories with one another and people light up they get great energy from this they go I never knew that and and so um, it, it becomes a very energizing process but you also want it to be one that becomes a permanent change 
in the way that we talk about ourselves and the, the way that we engage uh, other people in the markets that we serve. So, um, you know, there are, there are lots of people and organizations that work on one piece of those three. They, they spend a lot of time just on crafting messages or they work a lot in training um, and, and the management piece or some others that, uh, that work just with the, the messengers themselves. Uh, but what I like to do is to bring those pieces together. Never it's going to be perfect, but if you can get, um, get some consistency with those three elements, then you as a leader and your organization are going to knock it out of the park because most organizations really struggle in that area. Wow, that is that is probably uh, even better than your HRT bit. <laughs> um, and I think so. You're going to work so on that? Many, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, I will be working on it, and I will make sure that uh, I do not have those inflections in my questionings. I'm going to be very definitive, as I am being right now. So, <laughs> um, uh, Chris, you're you're a good communicator anyway, but I. I... Um, again, if it's a question, make it a question. If it's a statement Absolutely. or a recommendation, <laughs> make it a recommendation. Exactly. Well, well, Jim, this has been fascinating. I have a feeling already based on my experience in this conversation uh, and the ones that we've had before, we're going to have to have you back on because there's uh, so many different uh, areas of focus and deep dive uh, conversations that we could have, um, especially when it comes to messaging and communication. And so I want to thank you for your time today and being able to sit and listen with our audience and sharing so much information. And I told you guys at the beginning of this, this was going to be chock full of content. And so I'm really appreciative. So Jim, thank you for your time. Chris, thank you. It's a great opportunity. Uh, would welcome any feedback from your listeners and uh, I'm excited about the book and all the other things that you're putting together as well. Absolutely. Now, this was a fascinating interview, and I have to thank Jim. I have to thank uh, just him for having the, the, the knowledge and the wherewithal to share with us as an audience uh, his experience. I am definitely a fan. I do this for you all, but I also do it for myself because I learn so much when I meet people like him and the other CEOs and the other folks who've been on our show thus far and there's more to come so thank you all so much for listening there's a couple of things that I like to ensure that I share with you uh, when we end a show number one I would love it if you would leave us a review that helps us with our rankings on whether you're on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, AHA Radio. Yes, we are now a live streaming uh, opportunities. You can listen to this show 24 hours a day. Listen to all of the interviews. You can find us there on AHA Radio. More places to come like Apple TV. Uh, we are also now on TuneIn Radio, so you can at, uh, search high level wisdom for new generation leaders you'll find us there as well we are definitely growing and it is because of you it is because of the demand so find us give us a share share with others leave a comment give a review but we would love to be able to hear from you or if you're social like a lot of people and you're holding your phone like right now as you probably are listening to this show why don't you go ahead and do us a favor and go to instagram facebook or twitter at high level wisdom like us please follow us i mean we continue to share content also on our website we have a blog page as well so we dive deeper into a lot of the different conversations that you hear uh audibly we also have in written form uh, just different angles different things that you know i thought about as i you know um go back and think about the interviews that i'm that i'm conducting so 
if you want to engage further, there's those opportunities are there. You can always go to our website, highlevelwisdom.com, and you can see all of the information and then some. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for participating. Thank you for being a, a listener. Thank you for being a loyal supporter of what we are doing. My job is to simply ensure that we do not allow any of the baby boomer uh, understanding and the knowledge uh, go away, that we are able to leverage this information and to be able to build relationships the right way so that we can take over and run companies far into the future. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Now, maybe you are listening to this today and you say, hey, I really would like to be able to have a further conversation with my executives around this very topic. Well, we now offer the high level wisdom workshop. Absolutely. We will come in and work with your executive team and also your emerging leadership. And we will do a deep dive for you and talk about how do we bridge that knowledge gap, teach you about some of the best practices. And more importantly, you walk away with something that can help you continue to grow the internal workings and the health of your overall company. Feel free to go to our website, highlevelwisdom.com to learn more. So do you have a burning question that you would like to have answered by the CEOs that we interview? Well, today is your day. Why don't you use the hashtag ask a CEO and make sure you tweet or go to Instagram or on Facebook and send us a note with your question. When you send that to us, we actually share it with our CEO network. Our CEOs will get an opportunity to see it and we will make sure that your question gets answered. It's called Ask a CEO. Use the hashtag Ask a CEO on social media. Send your question and wait for an answer today. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.